Good morning. This is Jim Colburn of Commodity Research Group. I'm here with Andy LeBeau, also of Commodity Research Group, and we're here to talk about energy markets. To learn more about us, you can check out our website, commodityresearchgroup.com, where we post our podcasts and our blog. We'd like to thank our friends at EKT Interactive Oil and Gas Training for hosting this podcast. Check out their newsletters, podcasts, and learning modules at ektinteractive.com. This podcast should be construed as market commentary, merely observing economic, political, and market conditions, and is not intended to refer to or endorse any particular trading system strategy or recommendation. We are not responsible for trading decisions taken by anyone. Information is not guaranteed to be accurate. This is not an offer to buy or sell any derivative. Today is September 7th. And, and Andy, let's, let's get started. You, you had, last time we talked, or I should say we uh, had a podcast, you put out the possibility that the market could actually go lower when there was a lot of um, very many uh, bullish scenarios uh, put out there. And um, why don't you talk about uh, what you're, you know, and, and the market has actually come much lower. What's going on to bring it so low and maybe talk about what you were thinking back then? Okay, good morning, Jim. Yeah, we, we didn't share a lot of the views that the market was going to be unbelievably tight in the third quarter and uh, heading into early fourth quarter. And basically, Jim, it was, you know, we just did our homework really and looked at the, looked at the balances and, you know, they, did, they didn't look that bullish. A, a big factor, you know, just looking at third quarter, what we had was actually a surplus uh, of about a million barrels a day. And then the, you had to add in, you know, up to seven or 800,000 barrels a day of, of SPR supply that, that was hitting the market. So, you know, to us, we saw upwards of, you know, 1.5 to 2 million barrels a day surplus for uh, third quarter. And then looking at the fourth quarter, at least for uh, October and November, uh, our total surplus was uh, closer to about a million barrels a day. Um, the SPR is going to, the, the big SPR releases from the, the U.S. are going to stop in uh, October, uh, end of October. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, looking at what was going on on, uh, you know, both, both basic supply and demand, uh, it didn't, you know, to us, we weren't seeing the shortfalls. Uh, and as a result, you know, I think we were, we were by and large more bearish than uh, what the rest of the market was, uh, was looking at. So um, maybe we can uh, dig down a little bit and, and start off with um, uh, demand was underwhelming. I, and where, why don't we start with China? Uh, what can you tell us about uh, uh, Chinese demand currently and uh, going forward? Well, China's demand is is coming in soft. Uh, the the zero COVID policy has uh, definitely taken away from uh, where demand is. It probably they're going to end up the year at um, down for the year at best. At best. They're going to be unchanged at best, but I, I think uh, when the year is over, year to year, they're they're going to be down. Now, what the market was looking for, if you go back to 
you know, last year's expectations, you know, the market expectations were for China to grow by up, up to a million barrels a day. And that clearly is uh, not, not happening. So relative to expectations, that's a, that's a big loss in, uh, in demand. The other big consumer that is uh, not coming through at all is the U.S., uh, our numbers have been, um, you know, have been coming in soft here in the in the third quarter for a lot of reasons. Chiefly, uh, it's it's gasoline demand. Um, June was revised upwards, and maybe gasoline demand, and we'll talk more about that later in the podcast. But you know, the, this driving season has been has been a bust, Jim. So you know, you've got U.S. and China, the two biggest consumers, with demand coming in coming in soft for, uh, again, a variety of reasons, COVID, higher interest rate, expectations for uh, an economic slowdown, and high prices here in the U.S., you know, crushed gasoline demand. So, you know, we've been marking demand down, uh, and we have it for the second half of 2022. Right now, we actually have it up by like a pathetic uh, 200,000 barrels a day. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised as we move later in the year, you know, that that CRG revises that downwards by, you know, it, it comes in unchanged to below last year, last year's levels. And um, on the supply side, we just had recent news, uh, OPEC plus uh, going to reduce production by 100,000 barrels. What What's the implication of that? Well, that that has virtually no implication. I think that was uh, more symbolic than, than anything else. They just, they just put out 20, in, in, last month in August, they put out 29.6 million barrels a day, which was the most since uh, you know, they were really cranking it out during the price tour of uh, April, 2020. And, and you know, OPEC production since the fourth quarter of uh, 2021, one uh, is up, you know, it's up almost 2 million barrels a day. So, you know, they, they've been increasing, they've been increasing production, you know, drumbeat increase every, every month. And uh, th this last decrease, you know, I don't, I don't think 100,000 barrels a day is, 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 as I said, is symbolic. Uh, the big thing with OPEC is that, you know, the reason they were able to crank up production to 29.6 million barrels a day is Libya. Libya's production last quarter was down to 0.6 million barrels per day as they had, you know, continuing conflict, which has been going on for years and years now, continuing conflict between uh, the Eastern governments and the Western governments, which um, has from time to time uh, impacted their production dramatically. Well, they, they came to a, to a quote unquote truce uh, it, which would enable production to uh, increase in, uh, and last month they were up by point, point five, 500,000 barrels a day. Mm. That's a huge number. It is. Uh, particularly for Europe, you know, that, that, all, that, all, the, all those barrels are going right to Europe. I mean, right. Italy, Italy, Italy is a you know, big consumer for uh, Libya. Uh, so I, I should say all well, those barrels, but a majority of those barrels are going, going right to Italy. So, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big number. Uh, and yet another bearish factor for the, uh, you know, for the market. So 
Yeah, didn't talk about uh, diesel demand when we were talking. I mean, that's a what's going on with is, was that affected by high prices as like gasoline? Is it uh, being affected by the economy? What's going on there? You know, Stock. it's pretty interesting, Jim. The diesel demand, I guess, is is uh, it, it's been steady, better. You know, it's it's coming in lower than expectations, but it, it ha it's not terrible. Uh, I mean, it's actually pretty good at least U.S. diesel demand, uh, European diesel demand uh, is, uh, is, is slacker. Right. <laughs> I'm a slacker. <laughs> well, the, US, yeah. the European diesel demand is softer, I should, I should say. Yeah. Like yeah. But we've been hanging in at like 3.7 to 3.8 million barrels a day. And I, I would have thought it would be you know, much lower than that. And perhaps in the fourth quarter, as we, uh, you know, if things do slow up, uh, we'll start seeing diesel demand, diesel demand soften because that that's basically most affected by um, economic conditions. So I, I would expect that we'll start seeing diesel demand a little bit softer. But I, I'd say that's been a big, that's big a, a big plus. And and what's really been a big plus for diesel, uh, at least for U.S. diesel has been export demand. Um, there, ha there has been good export demand to, to some to Europe, some to, some to South America, some to Canada, but we're, we're running well ahead of last year's numbers on, uh, on export demand. So let's, I, 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 sorry, I'm bouncing around with this kind of market it is, but um, so the, the big wild card is uh, what's Russian oil gonna look like on the market going forward with the EU uh, sanctions expected to take place December 5th. Uh, can you kind of retrace what's been going on with Russian supplies that have been able to, at first were down sharply, then have come back strong and where you expect them to be going forward? Yeah, I think where the market, at least relative to expectations, where the market got it wrong was on Russia's ability to, to export you remember in during the spring, uh, the IEA was saying Russian production could be down by three million barrels a day. And you know what? A lot, most of the banks were around two, you know, two to three. So let's say the market expectations were that uh, Russian exports would be down, let's say two and a half million barrels a day in the, um, you know, so during Q2, Q3, you know, in that, in that period. But in actuality, in uh, Q2, they were only down by three to 400,000 barrels a day. And in Q3, they're probably down by like 600,000 barrels a day, or just, you know, a fraction of what the market had expected, which of course has been another bearish factor in the market is Russia's ability to export. Now, how did they do it? Well, they changed their markets. They moved India was taking zero uh, Russian, and now we're taking up to a million barrels a day. Now, why are they doing that? Well, there's been a huge discount. You know, it's thirty to uh, twenty to thirty dollars a barrel discounted on uh, Russian crude. China's been taking more, uh, and EU is still taking. I mean, they're, they're taking uh, in July. EU took one point seven million barrels a day of 
uh, crude and 1.1 million barrels a day of, uh, of products, according to the IEA. And, and they're, so that's 2.8. In January, they took 3.8. So, we, you know, they've lost a million, but they haven't lost all of it. So, um, you know, Russia, Russia's been able to export. Now, the big question is what is going to happen with the embargo? And uh, Jim, I know you and I have been back and forth on, uh, you know, on price caps and price controls and, uh, you know, yeah. I, the, the, I was going to say uh, there was, I remember a, an economist talking about Richard Nixon and he, sh he said he shouldn't have been impeached for, maybe he shouldn't have been impeached for uh, the Watergate cover up, but he definitely should have been impeached for wage and price controls. So, because they were, they didn't work. And I was just wondering, I, I, I'm not sure what the mechanism, mechanism is, but Russian oil is already discounted heavily to the rest of the world barrels. That, that's correct, right? Right. So the spreads around, is it 20, $25 below Brent? Is that the way yeah, it's worth? Yeah, that's worked? a moving target, but let, let's say 20 to 30. 20 to 30 20, below. 20 so, to 30 below, yeah. So you already have a, a discount in place. It's good. It, as hard as it is to keep Russian barrels from flowing to, you know, there's a, it, it's always in the interest of somebody to, you know, try to get outside the embargo. And, um, you know, I'm not sure it'll be an easy thing to implement, you know, a price ceiling, but um, so what, what's your, what's your number basically on how much this embargo will restrict oil exports from Russia or do you, do you have one? I, I don't really have a, a um, you know, the, there's still going to be pipeline exports uh, coming in. It's it, the the embargo is for, for EU all seaborne exports, which in July was about 1.1 million barrels a day. Let's say a million barrels a day. The the big unknown, I guess, is going to be on insurance because the you know the embargo doesn't allow uh, the Western Western insurance companies to insure the seaborne exports, and you know something like uh, eighty to ninety percent of all of all these seaborne exports are, are insured by the West. Uh, it doesn't mean, however, that other countries, you know, that there can't be insurance, self-insurance from China or India or something else is, is worked out. You know, the key thing is that China and India, uh, who have been taking much of the, of the Russian exports, you know, they're not part of this embargo. And on the price cap, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how that's, you know, how that's going to work. You know, yeah. I think they're looking at a different, you know, a fixed differential to Brent or who, you know, I'm sure they're going to work out some kind of formula. They're talking about the marginal cost of production. You know, I, I think it's clear there've been a lot of academics and economists working on this, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yep. As soon as you get into marginal cost of production. You know? Yeah, I know. And right? I, I guess my feeling is that, you know, a lot of these things, those, those barrels will find, they may not go to Europe. They'll they'll just rearrange the trading routes. You know, you you it'll be less efficient, but the barrels will get out there. And as far as a supply demand balance for the 
for the world it may be short term problems, but once they get them figured out, you know, just just like it's already happening. Uh, I, I don't know if China and India can take more barrels of discounted Russian oil. Uh, you know, it, I guess it depends on their demand structure. But is also is there is there a, a a problem with the refineries? Can they take this kind of oil? Or is it is that well, is that an issue? Yeah, not, the, is it the, not an issue? China won't. China's not taking any more. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they, they've been they've been up again. You know, I'm using some IEA numbers here, but they they've been taking. I don't know, like 1.8 million barrels a day to 2 million barrels a day. But the thing with China, and this is you know this is why they won't be taking any more, is that they they really want to diversify supply. That's one of their number one. Uh, tenants in uh, on, on their uh, import mix is they don't want to become too heavily reliant on uh, any one supplier, you know, which I think is a lesson that uh, Germany could have taken from, uh, you know, from the Chinese. So they're not going to take any more Turkey. Yeah, I, I also wonder, you know, they're, they're up to, you know, a million barrels a day. And I, I don't know if they're, you know, if they're, they're going to be taking any more either. Yeah, it certainly adds uh, a little more uncertainty into the uh, <laughs> into the market. Yeah, 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 definitely. Oh, no, no, no question. And I think, like you, you know, the point you were making. Yeah, the one thing there, there probably will be is a lot of dislocation, and um, you know, sometimes and dislocation is, can be very bullish for uh, for markets, particularly on the uh, on the structure. Interestingly, though, this, the structures really like collapsed. I mean, you look at WTI, the, the front to backs are trading in, you know, the first M1 minus M2 is like in the 30s or 40 cents mm-hmm. um, relative to, you know, two, three dollars earlier. And even Brent is, is down only seven, you know, 60 to 70 cents. So, you know, for now, the market seems pretty well supplied based on, you know, based on, on, what's happened to the uh to the curve so i guess um china demands let's say the lockdowns stop there's pent up demand is that enough to pull this market out of the doldrums yeah it 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 could i'm sure there'll be you know prior to the you know prior to december 5th maybe there'll be some demand surge maybe and you know, as I said, as we head into December, we're, um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll see what, you know, there's going to be dislocation post embargo. Uh, so maybe that'll, that'll help lift the, you know, that'll help lift the market, uh, as well. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the market now we're down about three bucks today. So I'm trying, I'm trying, and I, I know our podcast is supposed to be good for like a month, but, um, I don't want to get. Some. I know, <laughs> you know, in, a, in the monthly, uh, which I wrote last week, um, you know, late last week, I'm, I'm thinking, all right, you know, what I think is going to happen is that the trading range is going to look be lowered, right? We've been in right. an 85, 95 trading range recently, you know, an 85, 97. And I, I think, all right, you know, we have this embargo coming up. I think it'll be lowered by a few dollars, you know, maybe like 82 to 94 or five if things get you know a little out of control on uh you know with the embargo or anything else uh you know we're we're 
Well, we broke 85. And, yeah. and uh, the market just doesn't look we could get there right away. Yeah, it's a it's it's interesting. You, I mean, in your monthly, you said you had a bearish bias for crude oil, so I'll give you credit for that. Um, it's also it seems like there's a lot less volume going on, and open interest is down, and you know because of this uncertainty everywhere, it seems like a lot of people have backed out. And maybe it, maybe that's a, everybody went on holiday for August, but um, we'll have to see if we start seeing open interest build uh, going forward. Oil markets really seem to get agitated in in bear markets when you know you get these big moves down obviously they get agitated when uh when uh uh a war occurs as well but i'm, I'm saying in general it, it, the markets get really crazy volatility explodes on a, on the way down just one thing that i'll bring this in speaking of options um we we this is a market that has been clearly if you looked at the option paper i know there's buy for every buyer there's a seller but the initiators of, of trades seems to be on the bullish side and um option volume has been low but you see these blocks of trades these gigantic trades twenty thousand lots at a clip where i don't know if it's the same person it sounds like it sounds like a it, it wouldn't be a very popular strategy but they're buying these one dollar wide call spreads so in december of 22 just a couple of days ago, 20,000, 124, 125 call spreads went. If you look at the major open interest, uh, it's in the 129, 130 call spread. There's like 50,000 of each. Dece 149, 150s, they're in the top 10. Our old favorite, the Dece 100, still has 43,000 open interest. And then you see a, a little chunk on the Dece 200 call in the DS250 call. So my, my point is there's this, like still this bullish sort of long-term, yeah, we're low now, but next quarter, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna be well over a hundred bucks, which which could happen, but it's, it's yeah. yeah, no, it, it's a crazy market. Definitely. But yeah. on, the, on, on the put side, what what's missing in this, if you think that, you know, the futures market sends us to an area where roughly it's 50% chance of going higher, 50% chance of going lower, what was missing is the sort of the downside put buying. Um, and I'm not sure. I think there's, I don't think anybody's doing that spec trade. And, um, and there's probably less, uh, less hedging going on by buying uh, those puts. And maybe, maybe that's what it is. Because when you, when you look at the uh, top 10 open interest in puts, it's still like the D60 put, the D50 put, the D40 put. And it's only about 20,000 lots. And these things were done, you know, maybe, over a year ago, so it's kind of like where, where, where is that part of the market? And uh, maybe, maybe we'll, I guess when we do see it, it'll be time to to buy. When we see the put buying coming out and in in, uh, in uh, big size, it'll be time to go the other way. But we we just yeah, haven't we seen that. And that's one of your contrary indicators. Yes, you're right. It's a contrary indicator. Some sometimes, but the other kind of crazy thing going on that. Uh, I posted in LinkedIn today that's not, I wouldn't say it's real news if you're following the Nat gas market, but the um, the Feb implied volatility is hovering around 100%. So you're talking about an option that's five months out. It's not the front month that's 100%, it's the five month out. And obviously it's it's uh, seasonality, the winter stuff, but that's a, that's a huge number out there. And, and if I 
take that a little further, if you look at the, the skew, so we, we take a 25 delta, uh, 0.25 delta on a put and a call, subtract the implied volatility. And in natural gas for October, the call is eight vol points over the put. And for February, it's 25 vol points over the put. So that's, those, are, those are big numbers. Now, for crude, the, the skew, except in you know, these warlike uh, instances, is usually a negative skew where the put's over the call. And that's what we're in now. So for October, it's minus five. And for February, it's minus seven. So that's kind of a you know, more normal looking market than uh, natural gas. So, I mean, we're not covering natural gas, but I just want to point out how, how crazy these uh, energy markets are all around. Well, I, th I think the one that's been completely out of control has been the, the Dutch TTF futures. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, they traded over the equivalent of over $100 per MMBTU either early last week or the week, week before last. And they're, now they're back down to like 60. Um, well, I was going to say, so any, unlike the Dutch tul tulip bulb, rally this this rally had some really funda fundamentals behind it yeah no no question but it does look and and of course natural gas you know the european natural gas price is, is real it you know definitely has an impact on um you know on, on the petroleum markets and that uh there, there could be some fuel substitution there was there definitely was some fuel substitution you know, direct burning of crude and some uh, residual fuel, you know, residual fuel burning instead of, uh, instead of natural gas. The, the, uh, I think the IEA was saying that they think it's four or 500,000 barrels a day increase in demand. I don't know if it's that high, but ne nevertheless, you know, we'll, we'll see as, as we head into the, as we head into the winter, you know, exactly what that number is going to be and yeah that's an increase in demand but i i think the economic effect is probably going to be greater than what that increase is you know again depending on the depending on the weather but um you know i i think jim that dutch ttf futures you know that has to be i i did look at one point it looked like the balls were like 170 percent or something yeah like that. you're right i mean there's no there's no option sellers left, you know, I mean, you, you can't, I mean, it's just, uh, a, I wouldn't say it's a broken market, but it's, um, you're, you, you can't, I mean, if you're a risk manager, you, you can't sell it, right. Can't sell vol, be crazy. No, um, you can't sell vol. And yeah. if you're, if you're a risk manager in that market, you know, your, your hair has probably gone gray very quickly. Yes. I'm sure your sleep is. I'm sure your sleep is down to zero along, you know, traders, probably the same thing. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the press has been pointing out that, uh, you know, a lot of the governments are going, a lot of the European governments are going to have to subsidize the utilities just to make their margin calls. Right. Um, yeah. It's been a story around. Yep. That's, it's, it, that's an interesting risk management issue because we, we have, and you and I have talked to pure producers who um, will hedge, say, 10% of their production, and the market will run up, and they want to hedge another 10%. And some banks will say, you know what, we can't, we can't uh, give you the credit for, for you know, margin money. 
And even though with a higher price, they're a better, they're a better credit risk, right? So if you're, it's a, it's a, a conundrum, but you know, the banks can't keep, you know, you almost need the uh, central bank to get in there as a, uh, a lender of last resort, because you, you, you know, it's, it's a mismatch of cash flows between time periods or, or not, because maybe, you know, you're not, you, you're not going to charge retail these uh, uh, customers, these crazy prices, the, the, the middle class and the poor people can't, can't afford it. You know, it's just uh, crazy, but um, yeah, we'll see how this, the other thing you don't want to do in Europe, Andy, is quote the uh, Game of Thrones uh, quote that's been used a lot. Winter is coming. That's that's not that's just not funny anymore. Oh man! Yeah, if you're a risk, <laughs> if you're a risk manager, if you're your own personal risk manager, don't do that. But um, so let's let's get back to oil for a second. One of the worst acronyms of all time, the JCPA, the Joint was a Comprehensive Plan of Action. I mean, that's is yeah, that JCPOA. JCPOA, sorry, JCPOA, that's got to be such bureaucrat ease. What's the chances of Iran bringing something back onto the market in the next? Well, I think the market is, you know, it's not, it's, we're in September. So, you know, I think for the balance of 2022, the chances are probably zero. And uh, as we move into 2023, you know, I, I don't think they're all, I don't think they're very high. However, you know, in past negotiations at the very, you know, as, as they're closing the door for good, you know, the, the Iranians have come back with, you know, something, something substantive actually to maybe clinch a deal. Now, right now, what they've come back with the U.S., the, the, the U.S. and the, and the um, you know, the other signatories to, to the deal have rejected it out of hand. So, you know, right, right now they're nowhere and, and these negotiations continue to move in, uh, move in circles. But, uh, as I said, you know, past, past behavior is any, is any indication of future. Um, there is a chance at the 11th hour that the Iranians come back. So I wouldn't put it at zero, Jim, right. but I wouldn't put it, at, I wouldn't put it at really hot, you know, I, yeah. I wouldn't put it like over, you know, thirty percent, twenty percent. What? So what? What about leakage? Is that growing? Well, they they've been pretty. Their their production has been pretty steady. They caught a break on heavy fuel exports to Saudi Arabia because the Saudis decided instead of doing because crude was so expensive, they decided that instead of doing their usual direct crude burn that they do every summer. Um, that they were going to they were going to use residual fuel as um, you know to help them produce power for air conditioning in the in the uh, in the summer and and most of that residual fuel came from uh, most of that marginal residual fuel came came from Iran but you know there there has been leakage but it hasn't been like they've been able to increase you know increase a significant amount you know maybe a hundred thousand barrels a day here or you know, 200 here. And as I said, I think the summer they did pretty well because of the Saudis, ironically. How ironic is that? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. I mean, if you want a a lot of uh, pressure gets put on some maybe not such friendly regimes, if you have really low oil prices, 
you would think that you could you could do a lot more by getting Iran barrels back onto the market. Maybe a don't ask, don't tell type of policy. Same for Venezuela. Don't I, you know? Just maybe get these guys get prices down and putting pressure on all the people um, that have not, let's just say, have not cooperated. You certainly put pressure on Russia as opposed to doing all this uh, embargo stuff. It, it's it's not going to happen, obviously. Yeah, it's not it, politically. It's just not palatable. No. no. Um, one thing that it, one thing that they could do actually is try to find a long lasting solution to Libya. Is right. there, there's there's something that you know is not a political. You know, I don't think at least in the U.S. You know, that's not a big political. There's no big political agenda. I don't think for Libya. Right. Uh, um, so you know, it would be nice if Libya which is essentially the marginal producer now, you know, if, if Libya could become a reliable exporter rather than an unreliable exporter. Right. Um, and, you know, recently there were clashes in both Libya and Iraq. Uh, there were right. clashes and the market really worried about it. And, you know, for good reason. Of course. Yeah, Iraq is doing a good job pumping oil, that's for sure. Yeah. Really it, around four, six, something like that. Yeah, yeah, they've got, you know, they have some spare capacity, not a, not a whole lot. I mean, that's the other bullish factor is there's not a, there's not, not a tremendous amount of spare capacity in the, in the world. And, um, you know, Saudi has some, but they're, you know, they're, they're up to, you know, they're, they're close to 11 million barrels a day. We'll see if they're able to produce of that. And maybe they've got you know, a million, a million and a half spare and UAE has some spare capacity. So, you know, and and that has in the past been a, a very, you know, really bullish factor as we start sucking up uh, any any spare capacity. Andy, can we uh, talk about cracks for a minute? Yeah, cracks have been unbelievably interesting. Yeah, I, was gonna, I thought you were going to say- uh, Particularly but, the diesel crack. Yeah, go ahead. Start with diesel. I mean, the diesel crack, holy moly. I mean, diesel crack went, went to like, you know, over $70. Right. Uh, it's still at like $62. These are, these are great numbers. And obviously, given, given where the numbers are, you know, any refiner, if they could, you know, would produce as much diesel as they possibly, you know, as, as possible. Uh, but, you know, they, they can't. Uh, not that they, you know, we're, we're not at, the point where we've been able to build diesel stock, diesel stocks. Um, we're, we're in diesel is, you know, last, last week's numbers were like 112 for total distillates, 112 million. And it should be for this time of year around 145 million. Mm. And, and this is why the crack is out of control. Most of the shortfall is here. Oh, it's in New England and Central Atlantic. Yeah. And where do we use heating oil? New England and Central Atlantic. So, you know, we're, we're in, you know, we're not going to make it, I don't think, you know, to build to anything, to, to build anywhere near what, what we need up here. Now, certainly heating oil demand has gone way down over the last couple of decades, but still, you know, there's still heating oil users and we're, and we're we don't have it. So, um, and we're going into turnaround. So I'm not, you know, I, I, I think we'll see a modest build over the next couple of months, but 
you know, those, those cracks may just come off because they're at 72, 62, but, you know, I don't, I don't see them collapsing unless the diesel yields really start pumping it up into the mid thirties, which they won't. So, um, so you mentioned earlier that we're exporting a lot of diesel. So you're saying it's from the Gulf. It's not coming up to the Northeast, Andy. <laughs> well, Jim, there is something that you and I've talked about for a long time, and that is the Jones Act. Right. Uh, you know, maybe if there's any kind of, you know, maybe if we get one of those ridiculous 1989 winters. Right. Um, you, you remember, I'm sure you remember. Yep. Uh, if we get one of those, you know, maybe we could do something about uh, getting rid of the uh, getting rid of the Jones Act, where uh, basically you can only transport U.S. produced products through U.S. ships, and uh, you know, it makes the production of uh, it makes the transport and the distribution of U.S. products really expensive by ship. You uh you brought up 1989. I'll just make this quick, but that was the first year I gave out the Option Trade of the Year award. One of our favorite customers came into our office and said, "I'm bullish on the heating oil season. I want to buy calls. What's the most bullish thing I can do?" And so I gave him a trade where you you sell an at the money or a little bit out of the money, and you take that money and you buy a whole bunch of out of the money calls. And he said, "That's too complicated." I said, okay, find the highest strike price you can and buy a whole bunch of them, which he did. And the market went up so much, they went in the money and he sold them out and he did it again. He bought a bunch of deep outs and the market went up again to that level and he did it again. And the market went up again. He made, he made, you know, the risk, he made millions on just a, you know, a few dollars, basically. It was one of the greatest trades I've ever seen. Anyway, let's get back to it. So, well, so anyway, yeah. let me tell you something. If we get something where, you know, like this pipeline issues and it, it's free, you know, that winter, oh, yeah. everything that could have possibly gone wrong went wrong. The refineries went down in the Gulf Coast because it was freezing, you know, and then we had pipelines got messed up and then yes. it was freezing up here. Right. Yes. I mean, it was, it was one thing after another. Right. And, uh, you know, stocks are so low in, in, in up here that, you know, something like that, you know, demand is way less than it was 25 years ago. But wow, Jim. Yeah. That was 33 years ago. Yeah. That was a long time oh, ago. Man. Uh, uh, refining, you mentioned turnarounds. Are these refiners running really hard or is this like uh, uh, business as usual? Are they going to, are they going to, Basically, the, the turnarounds are the scheduled maintenance that uh, refiners go through starting in September, deep into, right. in, into October. Um, right. what, what's, the, what, what's your thought there? How much, how much uh, is going to be taken out for, for uh, uh, maintenance? Well, it should be, you know, it should be, if, um, I, I'd say an average, it looks like it's going to be an average type turnaround season. But, uh, you know, at any one point, uh, over the next couple of months, there's going to be, I shouldn't say at any one point, at points, there's going to be, you know, well over a million barrels a day down. Um, you know, maybe the average is, is a lot less than that. So, you know, it's it's a pretty good turnaround season. The other thing, you know, we're headed, it's September, October, it's hurricane season. 
there haven't been any hurricanes, you know, there's like one named storm, two named storms, and, you know, hasn't even come close to the Gulf Coast. But as we learned with, uh, you know, as we've learned in the past, it only takes one big storm. So that's another thing to look at. Um, last point I want to make on the cracks is that the gasoline crack has really come off hard, basically because the demand has been, you know, horrendous, not horrendous, but it's really been disappointing in July and August. And uh, inventories are now, now, in terms of a day supply, are well are like a half day above the, the five-year average. Cracks went down to $12 at, mm. at one point from like the 40s or, or 40s or 50s earlier in the, in the spring and summer. You know, I think gasoline's a little oversold here. I, I still have a hard time believing that demand is as bad as what the weeklies are saying. But, you know, if, it, if that's true, if it, and, and, you know, they'll be revised two months from now. So we're not going to find out until two months from now. But, you know, in any event, demand it really isn't that bad. You know, I, I think gasoline is way oversold and it could, you know, I, th I think we could see a little bit of a recovery and the cracks have recovered, have recovered some. Andy, like 16. Uh, before before we go, because we're up against the time limit here, um, can you just mention how someone might be able to subscribe to your monthly? Because it's you have a lot of good, you and Ed have a lot of good stuff in there, and maybe some of our listeners would be interested in getting it on a regular basis. Yeah, uh, you can subscribe by getting a hold of me at alabo at commodityresearchgroup.com. You can also go to our, our website, commodityresearchgroup.com. And, you know, if you're interested, Ed, Ed does an amazing job with metals. Um, I try to do as good as I can on uh, oil, and we've got some other products there. And it's, re it's a really good summary of uh, what's going on in the market and what we're looking for over the next uh, couple, of, couple of months. And Ed is... You know, he's one of the, he's always named number one. Ed Meir is always named number one in uh, base metals analysts, one, two, or three by um, Fast Markets, which is the old metal bulletin. Um, and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, Andrew Lebow, L-E-B-O-W. Beautiful. Anything else you want to add to the podcast today, Andy? No, there was a lot of material to cover. Yeah, I, we so. bounce around. I'm sorry about that going from back but that's kind of marketed as i think um you know you, you supply demand cross at some point if you're talking about you know demand you're talking about high prices if you talk about high prices you're talking about supply so it's yeah but uh great good job andy we'll we'll There's do a we'll lot to this. unpack There's more than usual <laughs> and it's usually a lot to you know the, the suitcase is usually pretty full it is in, in, yeah uh, in oil this time it's like you got to pay extra to get it on the plane exactly you check the bag. Okay. Thanks, Andy. We'll, we'll pick this up All next right, month. All right. Thanks, Jim. Okay. Bye-bye.